You're listening to the Gates Church Podcast. For more information or to support this ministry, please visit thegates.org. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves, so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face, so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. So I'm going to invite Greg to come to the stage. Uh, he is our wonderful, loving pastor. We all love him. I'm going to pray for him real quick, and he's going to bring the word. Lord, we thank you for Greg. Um, we pray that you would bless the word this morning. We pray that it would go deep into our hearts and change us, Lord God, and transform us into the image of your Son. <coughs> We pray, Lord God, uh, that you would bless Greg as he preaches, with all wisdom and insight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Grace, for reading that. For your prayer. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. It's great to see you all here this morning. Um, today, we're actually going to be wrapping up our sermon series through the letters of John which uh, we had titled From the Beginning, and I'm going to be making an attempt to go through 2nd and 3rd John this morning. Uh, I think uh, I was a little overly ambitious when uh, we were planning this series. But um, next week we're going to be starting a new, a new sermon series going through the Fruit of the Spirit, so we're really excited about that, so we don't want to delay getting into that, so I'm going to, I'm going to get through this, so don't worry, it won't, be, it won't be longer than usual. So I'm just going to... Um, But as as Bryce has already read, and if you've been with us through most of the series, you may have noticed that a majority of 2 John is actually a great summary of what we've actually already been talking about uh, in in the first letter of John, which means we don't need to dig into this one too much. But here's the gist of it, kind of an overview or summary of what we've been going through. This is the point that as Christians, we've been transformed and molded by the grace, truth, and love of Jesus Christ, and therefore... We have also been given the capacity and the heart of God to love one another, to stand firm in the truth, and live lives of joyful obedience to him. Michael Horton writes it like this, God's will for your life is simple. He wants you to trust in Christ and pursue the love and good works that result from a heart gripped by the gospel. And once again, we're reminded in this, in this letter to this unnamed but obviously influential Christian woman within that church community that this message that John's writing isn't anything new. 
He's not making it up or adding to it. Rather, it's consistent, it's unchanging, it's immovable, it's unshakable, it's eternal. It's the word that existed from the beginning, he said. To love God and love one another. And in the same vein, then, this commandment to love isn't something that we do reluctantly as Christians. right? But rather, we do it because Christ compels us. Because he saved us from our sin and filled us with his spirit to be part of his story. To be his hands and feet, to be the evidence of God's love among each other and in this broken world. And again, this is what we've already been learning and and discussing for the past couple of months. So this morning, I want to conclude the series with a little bit of application, if that sounds good to you. And my hope is that it'll both challenge us and encourage us to pursue one of the most significant and yet, in my opinion, one of the most often underrated ways that we've been commanded to love one another, for that, for God's expression of love to, to come out of us, and that's through hospitality. Hospitality. And um, we're going to read through third, third John now, and then we're going to discuss hospitality. So let's, if you want to turn with me to third John, we'll start at verse 1. This is the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are. Who testify to your love before the church, you will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us, And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I have much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, each by name. I'm going to pray again. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it's that's alive, that it changes us, that it draws us to you, Lord. And I pray that you would do that this morning as we go through it, as we learn from it, that you would change us, that you would draw us closer to you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So thanks to a, a very kind gift from my in-laws, my wife and I, we get to go on a cruise from Vancouver to Alaska at the end of August. We're looking forward to that. And it's not just any cruise, it's a Disney cruise. You knew I was going to say that. <laughs> my wife's family is obsessed with Disney, so it had to be a Disney cruise. But if you've ever experienced Disney, especially 
and more specifically, the Disney Cruise Line, you'll know that they're among the best in the world when it comes to the hospitality industry. In fact, their number one goal is to make sure that everyone has a smile on their face at all times, that our wishes would truly come true, right? They, they make everything personalized, and anything that can be done for you is done for you. They take all your requests seriously and will bend over backwards to ensure that your family is having the time of their life, and they do it all with a smile on their face. If there's a problem, they fix it before you know it, and then they'll, they'll probably give you a gift uh, or some sort of compensation to thank you for your patience. Their, their dining and their food is, is world-class. Uh, they clean your room, they make your bed, they, they bring fresh towels multiple times a day, they make towel animals. They're, they're award-winning entertainment as well as like no other. It's like that candlestick in Beauty and the Beast when it sings, Be Our Guest, put our service to the test, tie a napkin around your neck, and we provide the rest. It's exactly like that, like, but for real. And in fact, now that I mentioned it, it's actually better than that because they actually take care of the napkin for you. Um, I'm not even kidding. It's, it's like that. It's ridiculous. And, and people start at the beginning, they're like, wow, this is amazing. And then at the end, people get really entitled, right? Uh, that's kind of what happens. But that's another story. It's a different, different sermon uh, material. Anyways, my point is that when it comes to, to the hospitality industry, they're tops. They're right up there. But the only problem, that's a pretty big problem, the only problem is that you have to pay for it. Right? And so there's the rub. The, the real reason that they treat their guests like kings and queens is because they want them to keep coming back again and again with their money. Right? They serve because they benefit from it. It's not actually sincere or personal. It's just good business. And they're very good at it. So good at it that it actually feels like they care about you as a person. But really, they care about you as a customer. But in the end, because in the end, the truth is that they just want to make money. And most people would have to save for years to experience something like that. But there is a place where hospitality like that should be freely available to anyone and everyone. A place where hospitality isn't just surface level, but genuine and authentic and real. Where's that, you might ask? In the church. In the church. That's where it should be anyways. I was reminded again this week as I was studying Third John at how often we tend to overlook or underrate the value of hospitality, so much so that it's kind of a lost art. When we read through the spiritual gifts, we think, oh, that's a lesser, that's a lesser spiritual gift. But as we read this morning, it's, it's kind of important. It's kind of important to who we are. In fact, it's for this very reason that John's so excited and joyful towards his friend Gaius in this letter. I'll go even so far as to say that he's jazzed about the work that Gaius is doing in order to walk in the truth. And what's this work that he's going on about? That he's simply being hospitable. From what we can gather from, from the letter, a bunch of missionaries or traveling evangelists came into town, probably without any money or food, just trusting in God, right? And, and Gaius chose to help them. 
even though they were strangers to him at first. He welcomed them, he valued them, he supported them. And that's what it is to be hospitable, to welcome, provide for, and accept one another, even strangers, as if they're part of our family. My guess is that he probably gave them dinner, he probably gave them a place to rest, he probably prayed for them, he, he probably even gave them some food and supplies as they continued on their journey. And, and let's be honest, at first glance when we read that, it, it doesn't seem like anything mind-blowing happening here. It's pretty basic stuff. But still, John says to Gaius that in supporting them, and simply being hospitable to them, not only has Gaius proved his faith, but he's also becoming like them as a fellow worker for the truth. His practice of hospitality, in other words, was actually incredibly significant for the work of the kingdom of God. Incredibly significant for the work of the kingdom of God, especially because it was towards those who were proclaiming the good news of Jesus throughout the area. So while on the surface level, hospitality, it might not seem that significant, but if we look a little deeper in this letter, and also into the words and actions of Jesus and the early church, we actually see how incredibly important and valuable it is. How it's God's heart. And what we find, in fact, is that hospitality is actually a core mandate for believers and a deep expression of the love of Christ, both inwardly among believers and outwardly towards the world. As Rosaria Butterfield writes, Hospitality is the ground zero for the Christian life. It's where we camp. It's ground zero for the Christian life. In Hebrews 13, verse 2, says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. In Romans 12, 13, it says, Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Practice hospitality. And that word, that word practice, it means both to pursue it, as in to do it, right? But it also means to grow in it, to develop in it as we do it. And this is a calling for all Christians, not just those that have the spiritual gift of hospitality. It's a calling for all Christians. Practice hospitality. Do it. Get better at it. And do it more. Because in doing so, we're doing purposeful and eternally binding kingdom work. We're entertaining angels, even. In other words, it's, it's spiritual warfare. We're advancing the kingdom when we do it. It gives value to those that feel unvalued. It gives worth to those who have succumbed to the lies of, of the devil who tells them they're unworthy. It breaks down our own sin and pride, sin of pride and selfishness, as we lift up others above ourselves. It's spiritual warfare. And of course, it unifies us as a Christian family while also breaking down the barriers, the spiritual and cultural barriers between believers and unbelievers. And I don't know about you guys, but this, this makes me excited. This makes me excited because I'm often looking for ways to share my faith and let the love of Christ work through me in, in real, tangible ways. And this is something practical and, and, and applicable that we can all do. Be hospitable. It's so simple. It's not always easy, but it's so simple. In fact, I'd argue that in a world that's continually encouraging us to be more and more selfish, 
and self-serving. This is something that, that can and should make us as Christians stand out from the world in a big way. A positive way for once. The Apostle John draws this contrast in his letter when he brings up that self-serving Diotrephes. Right? Little did Diotrephes know that people 2,000 years later would be learning about him and how not to be a conceited, self-serving jerk portion of the Bible. <laughs> but that's kind of the lesson, right? He didn't welcome the missionaries. He wasn't hospitable to them. In fact, he even stops those who want to be welcoming and he kicks them out of the community simply because it didn't benefit him in any way, or as it says, because he likes to put himself first. <clears throat> Verses 9 to 10 says, I've written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I'll bring up what he's doing, talking wicked nonsense against us, and not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers, and also stops those who want to, and puts them out of the church. It's crazy. But the truth is that the biggest thing that keeps us from being hospitable is our pride, is our selfishness. Isn't it? If all we're concerned about is my status, my comfort, my well-being, my house, my money that I earn so I can do with it what I want, my safe, comfortable church, that's all we care about, then hospitality is impossible. Even in the times when, when, when we are supposedly being hospitable, we'll still end up making it about ourselves. My, my wife and I were, were part of a wedding party, and, and uh, we had our rehearsal, and then we went over to the bride and groom's friend's house for a rehearsal dinner. And, the, and, and uh, we showed up at the house, and it was this huge house, and we walk in, and there's you know a chandelier hanging in the front entryway, and someone handed us a, a beverage, and, and we're standing there, and and people are just kind of like wandering around and and just standing around, and, and we didn't know what to do or where to go, and there was really nice couches, but no one was sitting on them, and we're like, well, are we allowed to sit down? Like we didn't, it was really uncomfortable, and then and we didn't even know who the host was. We hadn't met her yet, but then we started to realize who the host was because anytime someone would be like, "Oh, that's a nice painting," she would like pop out of nowhere and be like, "Oh, thank you, that's a Michelangelo," and then someone would be like, "Oh, I really love this champagne," and she'd be like, "Oh, thank you, I bought the champagne over here, and it's like a hundred dollars," and then someone would be like, "Oh, I like this," and she'd just like pop out of nowhere, and that, that's. Literally, what was happening, and then when we sat at the table, someone would be like, she, the, the salad would be served, it was like a six-course meal or whatever, the salad would be served, and, and someone would be like, oh, I like the salad, and she'd be like, oh, thank you, and, like, and, and just talk about how she made it and how long it took her to make it, and, and all this kind of stuff, and, and yes, so, so she fed us, and she led us into her house, but the truth is, despite all that, we felt out of place, we felt awkward, we felt unvalued. In fact, it felt like our presence was inconsequential, as was the presence of the bride and groom who were barely mentioned at the Roman rehearsal dinner. The whole event, rather, was an opportunity for the host to show off, to impress us, to put on a, on a show for her guests where she was the star, right? She might as well have been running around, look at me, look at me, look at me. And this is a true story, I'm not making anything up, this is a true story. 
And I'll admit that it is an extreme example, but, but every time I think of that experience, I can't help but ask, have we lost the true meaning of hospitality? In our post-Martha Stewart culture and, and Pinterest-driven world of hosting to impress, or like the industry of the same name, we've, we've turned and, and we've twisted hospitality into something to benefit ourselves. In a lot of ways, our, our motivation to act hospitable now comes from a place of selfishness, a, a desire to look good or to, or to gain something or to impress somebody for a particular reason. Sometimes our fear of, of not looking good or, or our fear of being un, unable to impress prevents us from being hospitable, right? You think, well, I'm not having that person at my house because my house is, is so small or my, or my house isn't clean and all that kind of stuff. So we don't even, we're not even hospitable. And like Diotrephes in the passage, these days, let's be honest, most of the doors in our, in our society just remain shut and closed off to the world just so we can live our lives without interruption. I find it a, a little bit ironic that there's been such an outcry these days towards the way Western countries, especially the U.S., have, have treated immigrants and children of immigrants. And don't get me wrong, that outcry is absolutely justified. But if we looked at ourselves with the same level of judgment, how welcoming and open are our little kingdoms? Right? How open are, are our doors? How available is the food on our table to those who would take a need and have nothing to give back? How welcoming do strangers and guests feel when they come into this church on a Sunday morning? And on, on that note, yes, we have an amazing host team who are more valuable than we give them credit for. So I'm very thankful for our host team, for Cam, for, for, for running it. We also have community groups, right? We have fellowship time at church. So we have spaces where hospitality should be happening. But the truth is that genuine hospitality is, is about more than having the right structures in place. So we can pretend hospitality all we want, but for it to be real and authentic and, and effective, it has to come from the heart. We have to want to be hospitable. Danny Meyer, the chief executive officer of the Union Square Hospitality Group in New York, writes, Hospitality is almost impossible to teach. It's all about hiring the right people. So he hires people who are already hospitable because he can't teach it easily. In other words, you can't just start or decide to suddenly act hospitable. If it's not who you are, it won't be real. For example, a selfish person can't practice hospitality in the same way that a fish can't practice walking. Right? Even if they make a go at it or try to, or try to fake it, it's not going to be effective. It's not even going to look right. Like the rehearsal dinner I was at, it's just going to be surface level. Rather, effective hospitality needs to be authentic and motivated, first of all, by a pure heart. Or as it says in Romans 12, love must be sincere. Love must be sincere. Which is why Christine Pohl accurately writes, A life of hospitality begins in worship. 
with a recognition of God's grace and generosity. Hospitality is not first a duty and responsibility. It is first a response of love and gratitude for God's love and welcome to us. And Henry Newman agrees. Or Nowen, I don't know how to pronounce that. And if you know anything about Henry Nowen, his life represents this, so he's allowed to say this. He says, True hospitality is welcoming the stranger on her own terms. And this kind of hospitality can only be offered by those who found the center of their lives in their own hearts. The amazing, the amazingly good news about the gospel of Jesus Christ is that we've not only been set free from the destructive powers of sin over our lives, but we've also been set free from the selfish and prideful need to live for the benefit and glory of ourselves. Unlike that Diotrephes did. And because of this change of heart, because Jesus is the center, because our identities are now rooted in Christ and his love for us, and the value that he's placed on us, we no longer have to chase after honor or, or value or things or status for ourselves. We no longer have to worry about whether our actions will benefit us or not. Because we've been given all we need in Christ. We can be secure in Christ. So instead, we can give without expecting anything back. Instead, we can honor and value others above ourselves. We can pour out grace and love to one another in the same way that Jesus has done in our lives. He's blessed us so that we can bless others. We can do as Romans 12 commands, which says, Love one another with, a, with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. So we're not just supposed to, to, to honor one another. We're supposed to outdo one another in honor. That's the way we're called to be hospitable. To outdo one another. To treat one another like, like family. Like we do anything for them. And again, to do so is a worshipful response to God's love for us, first of all. But secondly, and as John tells Gaius, it's evidence of God's love in us. But we also need to realize but it's also a recognition that God loves the people we're being hospitable to as well. Our hospitality towards one another is a, is a tactical and tangible way to proclaim, in Jesus' name, God loves you and values you. And that's one of the most beautiful characteristics of Christ-like hospitality. It's, it's personal and it's intimate. John reminds guys at the end of the letter to be personal, right? He says in, in verse 15, Peace be to you, the friends greet you. Then he says, greet the friends each by name. Greet the friends each by name. Not just as a group, not just as a community even, but by name. Be personal. Give honor and value to each person by greeting them individually. We might be stretching this verse a bit, but if we read through the New Testament, we, we see that this is important because this means meeting people where they're at. It means providing for individual needs. 
It means blessing that individual, praying for them, listening to them. And just as importantly, being real and open with them as well. Jesus did this. Yes, he preached to the crowds, but he also made time for individuals. And usually individuals that no one else had time for. Which means that to be hospitable isn't just to host someone for dinner or shake their hand. That can be part of it. But at a deeper level, it's to make individuals feel valued, honored, listened to, and loved beyond their expectation. And when we do that, we positively affect and change lives in the name of Jesus. We show them the grace and compassion of Jesus. And most of us know that to experience someone's hospitality, especially when you don't know them or haven't done anything to, to deserve it, it's a, it's a humbly honoring feeling, right? When, some, when someone's being hospitable to you, it's like, you're like, really? You're, you're giving me this food? You're, you're doing this for me? Really? Right? It just makes you feel valued. When, 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 I, was in my, when I was at university, I was in the choir. You can laugh, it's fine. Um, but we always went on a, a two-week tour at the, end of the, at the end of the year throughout Canada and the U.S. to sing at different churches and to advertise for the university. And at every place we went, we had billets, right? We, we had like, people from those church congregations hosted us, like two or three at a time, brought us to their homes. And uh, they fed us and they gave us snacks and they, they asked, asked about our lives and they gave us a place to sleep and they fed us breakfast in the morning and drove us back to the church. And, and some even had hot tubs we got to use and some even took us to movies sometimes. And, and every time, at every house, I was, I was blown away by the, by the hospitality of those people that didn't know me and would never see me again and didn't benefit from me whatsoever. But they treated us like family. And it made me feel valued and incredibly thankful. And when people come into this church community, or when we invite people into our homes, that's how they should feel. Though they're strangers, even they should feel like family. But before we go any further in regards to inviting people into our homes, I want to point out that there is an exception to the rule as we read in Second John. Remember, though, that as we read this, that this isn't an excuse to be unloving or rude, but John does remind this woman that he's writing to, to make sure not to allow wolves and sheep's clothing into our household. It says in Second John 10, 10 to 11, it says, If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. So just to clarify, I don't think he's talking about non-believers or unchurched people. He's talking about those that are seeking to purposefully deceive and lead people astray. So like a good shepherd protecting its flock from wolves, we need to use wisdom and discernment as well. We need to be ready to turn these wolves away. But again, this is an excuse to be rude or pretentious to anyone slam the door on a Jehovah's Witness or something, right? We can kindly ask people to, to, to leave if they're legitimately trying to cause damage. That's fine. And sometimes we, we, we feel guilty. We're like, oh, we're supposed to be hospitable, but this person is causing problems. Um, we can use discretion. We can use discernment. 
Other than, other than that, though, the Bible is, is clear. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, the Bible is clear. Hospitality shows no partiality. Hospitality shows no partiality. We're to welcome, feed, listen to, and, and be hospitable to strangers, it says. Again, this is a command that goes back into to, to the Jewish law and, and customs from the Old Testament. And this is something that John is praising Gaius for in the letter. Though they were strangers, he welcomed them in. We're also called to be hospitable to one another as the church as well. As Christians, as believers, we're to be hospitable to one another. In order to deepen and nurture the unity and bond of the family of God. We're also called to be hospitable to and support those in missions who rely on us. In doing so, as we talked about earlier, we're joining them in their gospel work. And this is something we do with Dr. J and, and the slum schools in India, right? We're joining them in their, in their gospel work. And when he comes here, we make sure he's, he's fed and he has a hotel room and all that kind of stuff. We're hospitable. But our hospita- hospitality should go beyond these walls, too. In fact, we're to love our neighbors. We all know that. We're to love our neighbors. And finally, more than that even, we're also called to be hospitable to our enemies as well. Proverbs 25, 21-22 says, If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. So even as our enemy hates us, we show them love. And we welcome them at our tables. Have you ever been rude to someone at work or talked about someone behind their back only to have them turn around one day and and give you free tickets to a hockey game or something like that? (laughs) Yeah? You know what I'm talking about. You kind of feel horrible after that, don't you? Right? Kind of guilty for being mean to someone who's actually so nice. And hospitality has that effect on our enemies. You know, if we we can can try to repay evil with evil, but that just creates more evil, right? Or someone's evil to us, and we love them back. This is the effect it's going to have on them. It's humbling. And in the same vein, it tears down the barriers of hate. And it allows people to see one another for who they truly are. People to be valued. People that God loves. People that God wants to know. With all that being said... Hospitality is not only a command for all of us as Christians, it's a necessity, it's a must. It's God's will in us. And yes, it can be costly. It can cost lots of money to to host people, to feed people. It can be expensive. It can can be exhausting investing in people and, and, and hearing their stories and opening up to them. And yes, it, it means we, in turn, have to be real and authentic with those we're being hospitable to, which also means it can, it can be humbling. Say, so this, is this is the real me. I want to get to know the real you. That can be humbling. But as Rosaria Butterfield again writes, it's a long quote, but I had to use it all. She says, hospitality is worth it. Hospitality develops eyes to see. It sharpens the saw of God's word on our hard hearts. 
It develops bold intimacy among people who would never have reason to be friends. It grieves the loss of missed opportunities to serve. It shudders at Jesus' words, For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. As you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. Jesus identifies with the stranger, the outsider, the needy. Daily hospitality hones a distinctive Christian culture from within as it embraces evangelistic optimism. Knowing that if God wills, strangers will become neighbors and neighbors will become part of the family of God. Who knows? This may happen at your kitchen table tonight. Or on your patio. Or in the church. Or over a game of cards. Or wherever you're at. Right? You can be hospitable anywhere we are. Because it's not just about opening our homes to one another. At its foundation, to be hospitable is to open our hearts and our lives to others and let them in. It's to see and treat others the same way Jesus would. So whether that's inviting someone to a movie night at your place or, 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 or yeah, inviting them to sit at your table. Making sure someone feels welcomed, valued, and, and supplied with a fresh cup of coffee during fellowship time at church. Whatever it is, whatever opportunities are placed in our path, we've been set free in Christ to be hospitable. That should always be on our mind, thinking about opportunities and ways that we can be hospitable. Let's think for a moment at the tables that Jesus sat at. They weren't usually his tables because he didn't have a table. But he was usually the host. He sat at tables filled with tax collectors, prostitutes, sinners, broken men, his disciples, even those who would betray him. He welcomed all of them to sit at the table with him. Jesus invited them to sit at the table with them. And he sat with them, and he broke bread with them, and he fed them, and he invested in them. And some took advantage of him. That's what's going to happen when we're hospitable. Some people will take advantage of us. But that shouldn't stop us. But some, like Zacchaeus, like the prostitute woman, and, and... 11 of the disciples, among others, it changed their lives. It changed their lives. People who felt like they didn't belong or were too far gone or unworthy of compassion or care, but in in just being hospitable, hospitable, just Jesus saying, sit with me. I'm going to dine with you this evening. And just sitting down with them and hearing them out, Jesus won them over and was able to speak truth into their lives. And now this is our calling. This is who we should be. And this is who we can be. Because this is what we've experienced by the grace of Jesus. He's called each of us. Even while we were enemies and sinners, he's called each of us to sit and commune with him at his table. To take and eat. To know him. 